Okay, in <clears throat> excuse me, in chapter chapter six and chapter seven, um, Job vented. <laughs> he vented quite a bit. He uh, he basically gave Eliphaz the what for because of his his uh, man terribly bad advice, and and then he started questioning God. We saw that last time about why he was. Um, why he was suffering so terribly. Um, we got to remember Job knows that God is in control of all things, and what has happened to Job, um, you know, it's not outside of, uh, of God's control. And, and he's right, you know, when he, when he asserts this, but, um, you know, as we've seen over and over again, and, and it's something that we're going to continue to see throughout this book, um, is that Job... Uh, like his friends, <clears throat> doesn't understand why God has it allowed all this to take place. Uh, of course, w- we know it's for God's redemptive purposes. You're probably going to get tired of of me saying that from from lesson to lesson as we go through each chapter in the book of of Job, um, and, and so we know why it's happening. But you know, even if you walked up and told Job that all this was working for his good, um, it probably wouldn't make him feel much better about his situation. Uh, it's just a fact. So, <clears throat> here in chapter eight, now it's going to be uh, now it's going to be Bildad's turn. <laughs> he has uh, he sat silently as Eliphaz made his case, and Job, of course, retorted to what Eliphaz says. And Job said that uh, you know we saw that that uh, Job even questioned God and started to starting to lose hope. And uh, I can only imagine that Bildad has just sat there with his mouth wide open, completely shocked that. Uh, that Job would be arguing with uh, all the understood wisdom uh, of the world. Now you got to kind of remember where we've come from so far in these in these chapters. Uh, the friend's viewpoint is that if you do good things in this life, God will give you good things in this life, and if you do bad things in this life, God will visit you with suffering. And uh, you know, Job is suffering more than you know any man they have ever seen before so the the wisdom of the day would dictate that job must have done something awful and so what their counsel is is hey job you need to you need to figure out what this is and you need to repent and of course job holds on to his integrity he's not sinless of course we said that before but he is devoted to God, and he is—he believes with all his heart that his sacrifices, the sacrifices that he made uh, for himself and his family, uh, are that they cover his sin. These are the sacrifices that God commanded. So Job finds himself probably in the same position we as Christians would find ourselves when we go through suffering. Um, we. Uh, have a tendency to, you know, the the wisdom of the world says, hey, you know, you must have done something that God is angry with you for. But the reality is that is if you are in Christ, and I'm talking about truly regenerate, if you are in Christ, born again, then Christ has paid for your sin, and there is no wrath 
for you that wrath was poured out on Jesus. Therefore, we have to uh, we have to come at suffering, which we still live in this sinful world. We still live in the flesh, and so we come uh, to suffering with the uh, the firmly held conviction, the scriptural conviction that Christ has paid for our sin. Therefore, there is nothing. Uh, on our account, uh, but what Christ has laid there by His perfect obedience, His death on the cross, and His resurrection from the dead. So you can kind of see where we, uh, uh, as believers, are in the same boat that Job is in. Now that's not to say that we're not going to suffer. It's not to say that we're not going to question and doubt and go through the things that Job is going through. I think that's the point of the book: is that we are going to go through these things, and it's instructive for us before. Before we do, but Job holds fast to his integrity, not because he's perfect, but because he has faith in God, and he has faith that God's uh, God's word to him, that you know, involving sacrifices and, and devotion to Him, uh, meted out God's forgiveness, and so. Um, he is rejecting his friend's counsel. So Bildad is probably, uh, I could see him freaking out a little bit that Job would be rejecting the, the very wisdom of the world uh, to understand why his suffering is going on. I mean, I mean, who does Job think he is to say that everything we know from tradition and experience is wrong? So Bildad is going to start off very subtly uh, and with great compassion. You know, when he, you know, when he says, basically, he's going to say, Job, you, you know, are you an idiot? Uh, verses one and two, he says, then Bildad, then Bildad the Shuite <clears throat> answered and said, how long will you say these things and the words of your mouth be a great wind? Um, Bildad doesn't even flinch when he chastises Job for for speaking falsely. And he basically tells Job that everything he's been saying, all this agonizing, all this claiming that he's innocent, uh, all this uh, comporting to be uh, not guilty of what he's being accused of, all this is nothing but hot air. I mean, you know, I'm thinking of if Job is like, "Wow, thanks for the comfort, Bildad. Thanks for the thanks for the encouragement." Um, in Bildad's mind, Job is speaking. I mean, he's speaking ill against God. Uh, that's what he thinks Job is doing. Uh, Job is calling God unjust. He's calling him unfair. He's basically calling God a moral monster. Uh, and now Job is just reacting to suffering the way. <laughs> the way any of us would, the way any man in his position would. And uh, of course he's going to question why. Of course he wants to know what he has done to deserve all this pain. But Bildad comes at him with both guns blazing. It seems like Bildad is just fixing to open up on him. Verse 3 says, he says, Does God pervert justice or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. Now, okay, this this is going to be our first lesson in how not to comfort someone who has lost his children. Uh, grief counseling 101. Uh, you'd probably say that you shouldn't really tell the bereaved parent that their kids deserved what they got and God was right to kill them. Um, I don't know about... I mean, just the fact that I, I can't imagine what's going through Job's mind, but 
I probably would have been on Bill Dad. Um, he doesn't have the best side, best bedside manner. Uh, Bill Dad wouldn't last five minutes as a chaplain in a hospital. He uh, he's sticking to the same thought patterns that Eliphaz started uh, by saying that Job's children deserved what they got. God doesn't bring suffering to those who don't deserve it, is the thinking. So they must have deserved it. Now, if you remember in the last few lessons, you can probably pick out the fact that their entire philosophy is rooted in control. If if people suffer, even though they did not directly bring it on themselves, then all of life is out of our control. And that's something that they can't let happen. Uh, for example, when you uh, <clears throat> when you see somebody going through great suffering, um, if you're honest with yourself, the f- the first thing you think of maybe if is if it's just way down deep, is that I am so glad that that isn't me. Um, but the reality is that it very easily could be you. Um, it's only by God's grace that it isn't you. But we have. <clears throat> Uh, I guess the best way to put it would be a defense mechanism that makes us believe that we control what happens to us. If we don't do something bad, then we can avert suffering. We can make sure it doesn't happen to us. And it's all up to us whether we go through something like that. The problem with that is that it just isn't true. Suffering suffering comes upon all people um, eventually. Now, now, granted, we we have already seen and already discussed the fact that Job's children, uh, they weren't angels. Uh, in fact, they weren't even close to being as righteous as Job was. Um, but Bildad's uh, religious advice that he offers, it makes no room for the fact that Job sacrificed on behalf of his children. You remember that? From the first chapter, it says that Job offered sacrifices for his children every single day, saying that perhaps they had sinned against God. Uh, Bildad's theology doesn't make any room for God's grace to sinners. And even though Bildad himself is receiving grace at this moment, because Bildad's not going through suffering, uh, Bildad's a sinner, just like his, Job's children was. They're just like Job is. But at this moment, he isn't suffering. So y- you see that it's about it's about our need to control. It's our need to make sure that everything is under our own power. If you will just do X, Y, and Z, then suffering won't come upon you. And if you do... Uh, these things, then suffering comes upon you, then guess what? You brought it on yourself. Okay, it's not a matter of the fallen world that has done it. It's not a matter of the flesh. It's not a matter of the the sin-soaked creation that uh, where we live and we experience disease and sickness and tornadoes and natural disasters. These things don't happen unless you bring it on yourself. That is the theology and the viewpoint of Job's friends and we know for a fact that it's it's just wrong. It's just wrong. There are instances where you do bring suffering on yourself. I mean, you you know, smoke for 50 years and you probably shouldn't be surprised if you if you get lung cancer. But uh, the the crux of suffering is going to come 
no matter what you do in this life. Unless Jesus returns first, there is going to come a time when you will go through suffering. There is going to come a time when you are going to get sick and you're going to pass away and loved ones are going to pass away. And so in this instance, Bildad is saying to Job, hey, Job, you really ought to not be surprised because the reality is, is that you and your children have really brought all this on yourself. And it's really prideful for Bildad to say such a thing because right now Bildad's not suffering. He's standing over Job, looking at him, and he's uh, you know he's presumably in good health and you know got everything going on. So in this instance, it's easy for Bildad to to look down his nose at Job and say, "Well, you guys must have brought this on yourself," uh, when he himself is not suffering at all. And so Bildad's going to continue in verses 5. He's going to, let's read verses 5 through 7. Uh, this is his counsel to Job. Verse 5 says, If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are put, if you are put, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. And though your beginning was small, your latter days will be very great. Now, of course, and you see, you see, uh, we have the same old lines that Eliphaz told Job. The same counsel. What Job really needs to do is to stop asking questions and stop lying about his innocence and just come clean. He needs to repent to God and plead to mercy for mercy. Uh, Bildad surmises that if Job was really innocent and pure before God, then God would immediately get up and restore everything that Job had lost. Uh, God would stop all the suffering that Job is going through if Job were right about his life. Um, And it sounds like good advice, but God himself has already disagreed with Bildad. God does see Job as pure and upright. We saw that before. And yet here Job is still in the midst of suffering. Once again, the advice that we're hearing is nothing short of of a graceless, works-based religion that has all its punishments and all its rewards in this life. Uh, God doesn't let the pure suffer and he doesn't let the wicked go unpunished in this life. This is the counsel. Uh, Bildad's advice and and the rest of this chapter here is Bildad making his case and bringing forth evidence of of Job's misunderstanding. And it's all based in this life. I mean, can you imagine... Can you imagine standing at a suffering person's bedside and saying, Listen, if you would just turn to God right now, He would make all this disappear. I mean, that is something that's inconceivable. Can you imagine somebody going through, I don't know, pick pick your tragedy, going through cancer, going through lost loved ones, dealing with the pain, whatever that suffering is, can you imagine standing at their bedside and saying, if you would just turn to God in this moment, God will make all this disappear and it'll be fine. Uh, life just doesn't work that way. We, we know more often than not, God doesn't work that way. 
Um, he he does heal. He does uh, cure pain and suffering. He does do all those things, and I'm not diminishing his power to do those things at all. But there's a reason that they're called miracles, and it's because they don't happen normally. A miracle is not something that happens all the time. It's something that is abnormal. So when God does miraculously heal someone, we can say, wow, that's a miracle. I mean, because the normal function of this world is that, uh, you know, we get sick, we have tragedy, and we have to go through those things. And uh, so you kind of got to get a hold of what Bildad's saying. Bildad is basically telling him that he's so sure about his worldview and about the way that God operates and the way that the world operates that he's telling Job that if he would just turn to God, God would stop this immediately. In this life, you would receive all that you have back. You will be delivered from all this suffering. Um, and anybody who's lost a child knows that there's no, you know, there's no magic words. There's nothing, even if God from heaven himself came and whispered in your ear and told you why your child had to pass away or why this had happened and what good purpose God has in it, um, that would not make the pain of the loss go away. Um, so what he's telling Job is really, really beyond the bounds of uh, of uh, reality, really. Um, and so the rest of this chapter is going to be <clears throat> Bildad bringing evidence of what he's saying is true. The first line of evidence that Bildad offers is, uh, well, it's... It's exactly the same line of evidence that Eliphaz offered earlier. His human tradition, the way things have always been. Uh, this is just the way the world works. Um, and in fact, he's going to say basically this has to be the way that the world works. Um, because if it's not this way, then humans don't have any control over what happens to them. And we can't have that. That's a too scary of a universe to know that there is a God in heaven who controls all things and we don't control anything. That's, a, that's too scary of a thought. Verse 8 says, For inquire, please, of bygone ages. He's telling him, you think about what's gone before, all the people that have lived before us. He says, Con- consider what the fathers have searched out. Uh, for we are but of yesterday and know nothing. For our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words out of their understanding? He's saying, you know, come on, Job. Look at the wisdom of all the men who have gone before us. They all say the same thing. They all know that people get what they deserve. They bring it on themselves. Uh, we are in control of our fortune. If you are going through all this suffering, then it must be because you deserve it. Um, this would be Bildad's counsel to Job. You need to um, look for something in your life that has caused all this. Uh, his statement here is that Job is he, basically just too young to know. He says, we are but of yesterday and know nothing. Um, there is so much learning in the men of old. They, uh, they all just know how the world works. They all know what the right thing to do is. If you would just jump on the world's philosophical bandwagon, um, you, you would understand, and then everything in your life would get back to normal. You can get through all this. Sometimes, and sometimes we even find this uh, this kind of advice in what people loosely call Christian counseling. Um, now, you know, let me let me be clear that there is such a thing 
you know, a proper gospel-centered Christian counseling. There is such a thing as that. And there is definitely psychological things that we Christians can learn uh, about human behavior from psychology and psychiatry and those things. But if we are basing our counseling methods on the philosophies of the world, they're always going to fail. But Bildad's basing his advice to Job on the wisdom of all the men that have come before him. Uh, sometimes when people come to their pastor or counselor for therapy regarding, you know, whatever, some issue in their life, uh, especially if it's suffering, instead of uh, a gospel-centered view of God and man, they're usually handed a philosophical system or a set of principles to work through. Uh, The best illustration probably... Uh, came from a Christian apologist who, who, who used to work as a hospital chaplain. Uh, not at the hospital where I work. This is another part of the country. But when he started his work dealing with pain, suffering, loss, and grief, um, he did what, what most people do. He got a bunch of books on the subject and, and started reading the, you know, the combined wisdom of all the people who had come before him. And, uh, and, and you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. We should stand on the shoulders of the great men who have came before us and learn from their wisdom. But in this case, what he found was that there were precious few books on counseling those who are in suffering and experiencing, experiencing grief from a gospel-centered perspective. Uh, he said that most of them ended up you know, they were just trying to get God out of the way and convince the people that God didn't have anything to do with the actual reason for their suffering. Um, but hey, you know what? It's okay because God's here now and He's ready to make it all better. And that you know, that might be appealing to some folks, but but I have a real problem with that. My first question, if I was the one suffering, would be, well, I'm glad God's here and He's ready to make it better, but where was He when this thing happened in the first place? And why is He just showing up now to comfort me when He's all-powerful and could have stopped the whole thing before it started? You know. And so uh, that chaplain, he, he later wrote a book called Grieving Your Path Back to Peace. Um, and he, he used a deep understanding of biblical theology to show believers... Uh, how to work through grief, but to work through it in a gospel-centered manner. God is with us when we suffer, but God also uses our suffering for our good. He has a purpose in our suffering. So this idea of God having a purpose in Job's suffering, uh, it's just an idea that Bildad can't can understand. If suffering can come on Job for no reason, then that means then... Uh, and I say no reason from our point of view, not from God's point of view. If if Job can just wake up one day and suffering has come upon him, then suffering can come upon any of us at any time, and that's just too scary of a world to live in. I would rather believe that you know we are the ones who brings that suffering on ourselves, and we need God to get it out of us. That's pretty much what Bildad's advice to Job is. So um, we see that Bildad has some real problems proving his case already. Uh, the tradition and philosophy of men is it's not a good basis to judge our position before God or the purpose for our suffering. So uh, next he's going to offer an analogy to help prove that he's right about what he's saying. Uh, he's going to compare people to plants of the fields. Uh, first he's going to compare 
he compares people to an impoverished plant that's withering away. Verses 11 through 13, let's read them. He says, uh, Can papyrus grow where there is no marsh? Can reeds flourish where there is no water? While yet in flower and not cut down, they wither before any other plant. Such are the paths of all who forget God. You see that? He said, just like just like flowers that wither with no water and, and all those things, he said, such are the paths, such are the paths of those who forget God. Uh, the, the, the hope of the godless shall perish. Bildad's comparison here is meant to show that those who forget God are those who are withering under his punishment, just like a plant without water. Uh, just like plants can't flourish and grow without water, people who have forgotten God, meaning they've strayed from His ways and refused to keep His statutes, uh, they wither away in judgment. Uh, and and the reason that they are suffering and withering away is because what they themselves have done. So we can see Bildad's thinking. Job, you're the one that caused this. If you would just turn around, it would go away and it would stop. That gives Bildad control. That gives Job control. That gives him uh, a firm place to set his feet in this world, knowing that, hey, things don't happen out of the blue. If something's happening, it's because I've caused it and I have to fix it in order to make it right. But the reality is that, that suffering has come um, out of it's come out of God's hand through the agency of Satan, but it's still come out of God's hand. And that's a scary world for Bill for Bildad to live in. Uh, and then Bildad says in verse 14, he says, his confidence, this is talking about the person who forgets God, he says his confidence is severed and his trust is a spider's web. He leans against his house, but it does not stand. He lays hold of it, but it does not endure. So Bildad, you got to remember, he's applying this to Job. So the accusation seems to be that since Job is forgetting God in all of this, he must be trusting and leaning on something else. And whatever that is, it's, it's not enough to hold him. On the face of it, it sounds like good advice. Anything... Or anyone you trust in other than God will always let you down. Um, But Bildad is here trying to convince Job that his view of God and suffering is the correct one. And if Job doesn't agree that that he had to have done something evil uh, to bring about his suffering... Uh, If he doesn't agree that repentance and turning to God is the only thing that will alleviate his suffering... Well then, Bildad says, uh, Job, you just aren't trusting in God. I mean, basically, Bildad boils down his philosophy, his theology, with God's Word. And Bildad says, hey, if you don't take my view, then guess what? You're just not trusting in God. Now, um, Bildad isn't talking about a trusting relationship with God here where the believer trusts that, you know, whatever God is doing, he's doing for his own glory and for the good of those who love him. Um, that's all fine and great, but that's not what Bildad's talking about. He's talking about, uh, he's Bildad has given us a picture of how God operates. He gives, God gives people what they deserve, and therefore only the evil people suffer. So if Job is suffering and refuses to admit his wrong and turn back to God, he must be putting his trust in something else other than God. Do you see how easy it is to start making assumptions about God and suffering based on 
you know, traditions, and then and then once you jump to that conclusion, then you start holding other people accountable for your own understandings. There's no grace. There's no mercy. There's no suffering with each other. Basically, now you're just pointing a finger saying, hey, man, you brought this on yourself, and here's the way you can get out of it. Uh, next, Bildad, he describes those who are prosperous, not the ones that are withering away like a, a plant that's dying, but ones that are prosperous and blessed by God. And he describes them as a plant that's thoroughly nourished. Uh, he says of the people who God blesses, verse 16, he says, He is a lush plant before the sun, and his shoots spread over the kingdom. Uh, his roots entwine the stone heap. He looks upon the house of stones. So in build as you, God will only give peace and prosperity to those who trust in him. He describes this type of person as one who prospers no matter what the circumstances. He is a lush plant. Even in the midst of the hot sun, he grows uh, in incredible prosperity and his shoots spread out and he grows even over piles of rocks um, that are that are usually not too conducive. Uh, to to plant growth, um, but you see what he's doing here. Though he's equating prosperity with physical goodness, with temporal goodness, he's equating prosperous to mean that everything is wonderful in this life. Prosperous is not a, a joy filled heart in relationship with God despite hard times. Prosperous is not having hard times. Uh, Bildad's in Bildad's theology, if you trust God, God will give you good times in this life. Uh, and in verse 18, he says, If this man, this man that's uh, prosperous, if he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I have never seen you. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the soil others will spring. So here Bildad makes it clear that even the prosperous will probably have setbacks. He says, uh, you know, if they were just destroyed from their place, even, even then his suffering will end in joy. Because out of the soil other shoots will spring. So no matter what he goes through, he will eventually have peace and joy. And Bildad's claim here is that God will only allow his right righteous men to suffer minor setbacks and then bring him into the fruit of prosperity. He won't allow the type of suffering that Job is experiencing where it's nothing but loss and nothing but pain. Uh, what we're seeing here is the same thing we saw from Eliphaz. Uh, Bildad is trying his best to keep control of his neat and tidy world uh, by making sure that he holds on to the fact that God will not allow good people to suffer. Job will not have to endure prolong suffering if he is a truly righteous man. God will not allow it. God will, uh, he may go through things, may go through hard times, may go through setbacks, but but God will, uh, God will produce the joy of his way and out of that setback, uh, other things will spring forth. Other things. So uh, there's no such thing as God uh, allowing prolonged um, suffering to one of his people. Um you know, the severity of Job's suffering points to the fact that God has point out, poured out his wrath on him um, because of some evil in Job's life. That's what Bildad's, that's what Bildad's mindset is saying. So Bildad's going to state his conclusion as, as 
this chapter ends as we come to the close of it. It's a kind of a short chapter. He says, Lo, God will not reject a man of integrity, nor will he support the evildoers. That's pretty much his conclusion. He will fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the tent of the wicked will be no longer. Uh, this is the same old refrain we've heard over and again. If you're right with God, you won't suffer. But if you're an evildoer, you'll receive nothing but calamity from God. If Bildad's conclusion is correct, then no devoted faithful follower of God will ever experience suffering uh, to this extent, and no one who does evil will ever experience good things in this life. The main thing that bugs me about Bildad's advice is that if he is right, um, then there's no such thing as grace. Um, you think about that for a moment. For You see, for, for Bildad, all religion and dealings with God are uh, they're strictly based on merit. I mean, there's no such thing as, as grace. If his advice is correct, then, you know, there's no salvation for anyone because we've all done evil. There's no one that does good, not even one. Um, if Bildad's position is correct, there is no undeserved suffering in the universe. Now, think about that a moment. There is no undeserved suffering. What would that, what would that, Entail If there was no such thing as undeserved suffering, then the entire foundation of the Christian faith is cut out from under, is the legs are cut out from under it. Uh, because the whole thing rests on undeserved suffering. Christ went to the cross and suffered, even though he did not deserve suffering. Uh, there can be, if Bildad's correct, there can be no substitutionary Suffering. Nobody can take your place if built as correct. Uh, there can be no grace because man must be righteous to receive God's blessing. There can be no mercy because God must give man according to his works. If God did only give to man according to his works, then, man, all of us are in trouble. Um, if a righteous man can't suffer, then Jesus couldn't suffer under God's, under this economy that that Bildad's proposing. And if Jesus couldn't suffer because he was a righteous man, uh, then there's no salvation for anyone. So it's easy for us to, you know, our flesh, our human nature, it wants to make sense out of all the things that are going on. When tragedy hits, when suffering hits, uh, we want to make sense out of it. We want to... We want to be able to explain it. We want to be able to reason through it. We want to be able to show why this has happened. We want to be able to say, this is the cause of why this has happened. Um, but the reality is that we are not in a position, we're not in a position to do that. Um, it, it makes us feel helpless. It makes us feel vulnerable. It makes us feel out of control. And I think that's the point. We are vulnerable. We are not in control. God does what He wills in heaven and earth, and He everything that He decrees, it, it comes to pass. And so God is in complete control. And uh, you know, when suffering comes upon us, uh, tragedy comes upon us. Um, if we're followers of Christ, the Bible says that all things are working together for our good. 
So it takes, you know, instead of reasoning it, it through, instead of uh, uh, rationalizing, instead of finding the cause, instead of uh, keeping our own control, basically we have to just reach out the empty hand of, of faith and just trust that God knows what he's doing and that he's working all things. Uh, we can't say that God only gives suffering to those who deserve suffering. If that were the case, then God's Son would not have suffered and there would be no salvation for anyone. So here we see Bildad is he's he's just as mixed up as Eliphaz and Job is going to answer him uh, quite conclusively in the next in the next chapter.